You're hanging out After Hours with Matt Anderson, presented by Inside the Gamecocks. Welcome into the Late Night Gamecock Show. I am your host, Matt Anderson, and I am your host for all things Gamecock After Dark. Um, want to apologize for the delay on this. Had some things that ran into um, yesterday and wasn't able to get the show um, recorded. I didn't get home till about 9.30 last night and had all kinds of things to do at the house. So um, anyway, I'm excited for this show today. Um, Gamecocks do face Mississippi State tomorrow night under the lights of williams Bryce Stadium and, and what's being billed as a sell- sellout crowd. So that's always exciting to have a night game and a sellout. It, it really... It really brings fans together throughout the day, and there's just a lot of fun um, had throughout the day and, and into the game. So um, I want to thank everybody that came and, and joined me on YouTube Monday night. Um, that was a lot of fun. We had a, a lot of folks that watched it through a couple different ways. So um, I apologize for not seeing the chat box. That was something that I wasn't prepared for, I was looking for. So I, I missed a couple questions. Um, one of the one of the questions I got is the hat that I was wearing that said LOG. Um, that was actually a nod to um, my fantasy football league. Um, one of the guys in my league created that hat online and, and got those made for all of us this past year. So I know I had a lot of uh, fancy football guys from my league that were that were watching. So that was just a nod to them. So League of Gamecocks has been around for going on twenty years now. So we've had a lot of fun with that. Um, another question someone asked me that I missed was, what's going on with Nicholas Harbor? Um, you know, Nicholas Harbor's on the field. He's um, playing. He played against Furman, caught two passes, got a touchdown, um, was out there against Georgia. I think his role is only going to expand as we go into the season. And I think that – I also think it's important for us to remember that a lot of times, you know, you get into like the first three games of a season, the first four games of the season, it's kind of like quarters in a football game where, you know, something might happen in the first quarter and – you know, it's setting something up for later in the game. Same thing with, with Nicholas Harbor. I think that he is going to have a role this year. I just don't know if it's something that he's quite ready to take take the load on right now early in the first quarter of the season. So I want to apologize for, for not getting that um, answered on the show Monday night. But excited. I hope you guys can join me every Monday night going forward on YouTube. Um, 9 p.m. start time. Go for about 35 to 50 minutes, depending on, you know, what we have to talk about. So um, I want to jump right into the episode or the show today and um, just kind of t- talk a little bit about recruiting. We haven't done a lot of recruiting on this show lately. It's kind of been um, Gamecock football season that's taken center stage, center, center stage and, and rightfully so. But um, I did want to preview the guest list for this weekend. Um, in 2024 recruits, you're going to have five-star defensive end Dylan Stewart ranked 12th nationally. You're going to have four-star tight end Michael Smith ranked 128th nationally. Four-star wide receiver Mazio Bennett ranked 187th nationally. Four-star safety Kelvin Hunter ranked 216th nationally. Three-star offensive lineman Blake Franks ranked 470th nationally. And then three-star defensive back David Busey ranked um, in the thousands nationally, but a much better player than his ranking. It's always nice to have this many commitments um, visit unofficially for a game because it just it allows them to tell the story of South Carolina and, and why they chose South Carolina to all the other recruits that are at this game. Um, as far as 2024 recruits go, that'll be there. The big name is four-star athlete um, Cameron Michael. Um, he's a, ranked 139th in the country. He's an athlete that would probably play either wide receiver or defensive back for South Carolina. For a long time, it seemed like a foregone, foregone conclusion that he would end up a Georgia Bulldog, but Georgia's recruiting class is kind of filling up, and he wasn't ready to make a decision, and South Carolina has just been 
kind of hanging in the game with him. So I know that Justin Steps got involved in this recruiting effort. Um, Torian Gray still doing a lot of heavy lifting here, and he'll have the option to play either side of the ball at South Carolina, and the Gamecocks are pushing hard for him. Some other guys that are that are on the on the list this week for 2024 recruits visiting unranked um, wide receiver Yannick Smith, unranked wide receiver Jalen Hampton. Yannick Smith is actually committed to East Carolina right now and has an offer from Kentucky. Uh, Jalen Hampton is committed to Western Kentucky. Um, while he's not ranked in the 24/7 composite, he is ranked the 274th best wide receiver in the nation according to 24/7 Sports. Um, unranked athlete Jamari Norman, 6'3", 180 pounds, no real offers reported here yet. And unranked athlete Cortez Lane, um, actually he goes to high school with one of my one of my best friends. Who I was in his wedding, he was in mine. He's a he's a coach at Cardinal Newman now, and um, really excited to see Cortez get get out to South Carolina. Uh, 2025. There's some some big names that are that are going to be there this weekend. And in four star defensive end Jared Smith, he's ranked in the top 40 nationally. Four star defensive lineman Isaiah Gibson, ranked 258th nationally in the country. Four star wide receiver Dylan Alfred, ranked 281st in the country. Uh, four star running back Ladanian Martin, ranked 311th in the country. And then you got a, a handful of three stars there. Um, three star wide receiver Jaden Sellers, ranked 348th in the country, and you know he is a he's a South Lawrence Bruin this year. He's a senior. He's um, the younger brother of Lenore Sellers, and he has a, he has a lot of skill. And him and Lenore have a great connection on the field. So that's not just uh, hey your your brother's awesome. We'll take you. You know the Gamecocks really want Jaden Sellers. Some other three stars from the 2025 class that'll be there. Um, three star running back Justin Barker, um, ranked 364th in the class of 2025. Three star linebacker Mantrez Walker, 386th in the country, and three star quarterback Cutter Woods, who's ranked um, and that's a quarterback. In, in case I, um, you didn't hear me there, um, he's ranked 400 462nd in the 24/7 composite. You got a handful of unranked players visiting from the 2025 class as well. And um, quarterback AJ Brand, he's a local kid, but he would play in the in the secondary for South Carolina. Wide receiver Edward Coleman, athlete Stephen Collier, defensive end Andre Fuller, linebacker Brennan Johnson, safety Chandler Jordan, offensive tackle Shedrick Surratt Jr. And that rounds out the 2025 kids that are visiting. And then 2026, you have um, these recruits here: four-star running back. Janez Walton, ranked 47th overall in the country, big-time kid, going to be one of those stud running backs and when his time comes. And you have a bunch of unranked guys, offensive lineman Desmond Green, obviously an offer from South Carolina, offer from Georgia, offer from Florida. He's going to be a really good really good kid. Um, Tyron, a tight end, Corbin Fordham, wide receiver Brody Keefe. Brody Keefe has visited a number of times at this point. And then wide receivers, Nalen Scott, Mikel Skinner and Carnell Warren, all wide receivers. So, a big group of big group of recruits that'll be on on campus this weekend. And and look, there might be some more names that pop up later. So, keep your eyes on the Big Spur. Keep your eyes on everything Hale McGranahan's putting out there, and he'll make sure you know which recruits are on campus. So, while recruiting has taken a back seat to the actual season right now, and in most fans' eyes, the the Gamecock coaches are still focused on getting as many kids to visit for home games as possible right now. Uh, these visits do go a long way in laying the groundwork for relationships, and it allows the coaches to get in-person time with the players and, and also compare, them, compare the players physically to each other um, while they're doing their evaluations. 
because when they get to campus and they get to the stadium and everything, you know, part of their visit, they'll be measured and weighed when they visit. So that's really big for the coaches to be able to, you know, you can watch film all you want, but you, you want to see a guy in person. You want to see, you know, what they look like without pads, kind of project them a little bit, see what their body, their body um, type really is in person. So it's also a great time for recruits to, to bond together about a school, and these visits really shape where kids end up. So the more you can get these kids on campus, the better. Um, and don't let yourself get too bogged down on the recruits with, with low rankings or no rankings at this point in the 2024 class that are visiting. Uh, these might be guys that the Gamecocks are keeping in contact with for late offers. You know, if they blow up on senior tape, senior, senior film, senior season, or they could be looking at guys that could be preferred walk-ons. Shane Beamer has modeled his walk-on program like his dad did at Virginia Tech, and the, and the walk-ons can make a huge difference in practice, special teams for sure, but also could end up progressing and, and earning a scholarship down the road and contribute, contribute in meaningful ways as their, as their body continues to develop, their skill set continues to develop. You know, everyone's not a five-star kid you know, coming out of high school, and sometimes five-star kids mature faster and, and kind of plateau out, so... Don't don't get bogged down in you know unranked stuff, especially with these twenty twenty four guys. The, the coaches are bringing them on campus for a reason. Um, as for the twenty twenty five and twenty twenty six recruits, it's still really early in all of their recruiting journeys, and and a lot of these guys who are unranked actually have nice offer lists, but the recruiting sites just haven't had time to evaluate all the players and rank them against each other quite yet, and and that will come. All in all, this is a really good group of visitors. And it should be a great atmosphere under the lights of williams Bryce Stadium on Saturday night. So so good vibes all around here. Uh, right now, South Carolina's recruiting class is ranked 19th overall in the 24-7 composite rankings. However, they are ranked 13th in the country on average player rating. So as I said a lot during the summer shows, and you guys might be catching them now, I might have missed those, the national rankings often benefit not only the teams with the best recruits, but also the teams with the, the most recruits at a given point during the recruiting season, which is now is multiple years. So with South Carolina currently sitting at 15 commitments, there's still room for seven to nine more commitments from this class, and the class ranking should rise nationally. Um, how high it goes, how high it rises, will depend on how, how other teams around the country finish out their class. Um, I don't know if you guys can hear some background noise. We have um, some stuff going on in our house today, and... Doing a, doing a lot of work around the house. I'm trying to knock this out and trying to keep it as quiet as I can for you for you all. But um, getting back to recruiting right now, I don't know of any commitments that are imminent, but um, I know that there are players that the Gamecocks are after, and, and once those guys start announcing commitment dates, I'll break down my thoughts and predictions based on what I know at that time. I also don't anticipate South Carolina taking a kid just to take a kid at this point. The class is very strong right now and has a lot of the kids that are in this class are going to be counted on next season. I know the coaches are still tracking and communicating with some kids committed to other schools currently, and you could see some flips as we move towards National Signing Day. But like, like I said, I don't know if the Gamecocks will take a full class this year or, or hold on to scholarships um, so they can take them back for transfers. I do anticipate South Carolina to be very active in the transfer portal again this offseason. So Gamecocks might not take a full class, might hold those scholarships back. And, and um, that's why it's so important right now. I mean, there's a lot of guys the Gamecocks have lost due to NIL stuff. Um, there's been, you know, not really some, there's been some transfers the Gamecocks probably could have gotten with better NIL packages. But I just encourage you all, you know, whether you agree with it, whether you don't agree with it, 
um, at least tell the story and tell it in a way that says this is how the Gamecocks can compete because it's an NIL world right now. And, you know, I hate the, the term pay for players, but, you know, right now there is some something to that. But, um, you know, it, it's what you got to do to compete. And, you know, it's not going to be a heck of a lot of fun on Saturdays if the Gamecocks are, you know, a three and nine team, which, you know, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but, you know, to take that next step, the Gamecocks really do have to compete there. Um, SEC wraparound time. Obviously, last week, South Carolina fell to Georgia and Athens after a great first half for the Gamecocks. So we know what happened there for each team. Not going to go too in depth. If you'd like to, you know, go back and listen to Monday's show. I did a, a really, really intricate and detailed breakdown of the game and, and what happened and what I expect going forward. So. Um, check that episode out if you if you missed it. Continue around the SEC. Alabama defeated South Florida on the road, seventeen to three. And I'm I'm just wondering if there's trouble brewing in Tuscaloosa. Alabama played two quarterbacks in this one that hadn't played so far this year, at least in a starting role. And they combined to go ten for twenty three for 107 yards and zero touchdowns. A few days after this game, Nick Saban announced that they would go back to Jalen Milrow after neither quarterback separated themselves against South Florida. Alabama did rack up 203 yards on the ground, rushing for two touchdowns and an average of 4.8 yards per carry. And the tie, the tie defense played a really good game with five sacks and 10 tackles for loss while only giving up 264 total yards. One of the biggest games of the weekend last week was um, Florida and Tennessee in Gainesville. And Florida defeated Tennessee by a score of 29-16. The Vols' struggles in Gainesville continue. I said it last week and I'll repeat it today, but Tennessee hasn't beaten Florida in Gainesville since 2003. Tennessee had a narrow 7-6 lead at the end of the first quarter. But then Florida exploded for 20 points in the second quarter to take a 26-7 lead into the half. And the game was never really in question after halftime. Tennessee started the game hot with a 2-minute, 71-yard, 6-play drive to take an early touchdown lead after Florida missed a field goal on their first possession. But then Tennessee went 5 plays punt, 2 plays interception, 3 plays punt, 6 plays punt in the first half. And Florida didn't really light the world on fire offensively with only 349 yards of total offense, um, where they did have 183 yards on the ground. Uh, Florida quarterback Graham Mertz was efficient, throwing for 166 yards and one touchdown on 19 of 24 passing attempts. But Tennessee continued to spiral on offense, and, and it allowed for a relatively easy Florida win in this one. Joe Milton does not seem to be the answer for Tennessee at quarterback, and I kind of wonder how much longer he'll he'll start over their talented five-star true freshman. Tennessee's defense only managed one sack in the game. They did have seven tackles for loss, but but Tennessee's defense has been really disruptive so far through the season, and it just it wasn't all there against Florida. Um, I don't think Graham Mertz ever really felt true pressure in this game. Florida, on the other hand, only had one sack and three tackles for loss on defense. I think after watching both of these teams through three weeks that South Carolina can play and possibly win both of these games in the next few weeks. And I've changed my tune on Tennessee after seeing them average only 3.3 yards per rush after their big start running the ball to start the season. So while I had Tennessee in that top 10, top 12 range, you know, maybe even top six after a couple weeks, you know, largely because of their defense and their rushing attack, I, I just don't see it right now. LSU throttled Mississippi State in Starkville this past weekend to the tune of a 41-14 victory. This game was essentially over in the first half after LSU led 24-7, and Mississippi State couldn't get anything going offensively. 
LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels had another big day passing. He threw for 361 yards with 239 of those passing yards going to wide receiver Malik Neighbors. I left this game wondering about Mississippi State. They couldn't get anything going offensively. It just looked like a team that should be sitting at the bottom of the SEC. LSU's defense had four sacks and seven tackles for loss in this one, while the Bulldogs had two sacks and six tackles for loss against LSU. Um, and one of the more fun games of the weekend, Missouri upset 15th-ranked Kansas State at home this weekend on an SEC record-setting 61-yard field goal as time expired. Missouri's quarterback, Brady Cook, was 23 of 35 with 356 yards passing and two touchdowns. Mizzou only got 74 yards on the ground rushing, um, and that was a 2.6 yards per carry average. I continue to be impressed with Missouri wide receiver Luthen Burden III. He had another big game with seven receptions for 114 yards and two touchdowns. He's certainly living up to his five-star billing. This game was competitive throughout, with Missouri leading 17-14 at halftime. Kansas State took a 24-17 lead into the fourth quarter, and Missouri's offense came alive with 10 points in the final eight and a half minutes of the game. I really thought this game would go into overtime watching live, but man, what a field goal from Harrison Mevis to give the Tigers the win and get them to 3-0 on the season. Ole Miss remained undefeated, beating Georgia Tech at home by a score of 48-23. Jackson Dart for Ole Miss didn't have a great day from an efficiency level, but did make his 10 pass completions count for 251 yards and a touchdown in the air. And the story of the day actually was Jackson Dart. Um, the, the Rebels ran the ball for 299 yards on 37 carries, and they got five touchdowns on the ground, averaging 8.8 yards per carry. But um, while Dart didn't have his best day you know, from a pass completion standpoint, he added 136 yards rushing and two touchdowns on the ground. He's quietly putting up some dark horse Heisman numbers with 852 yards passing through the air so far, a seven touchdown to one interception ratio, and he's added another 213 yards on the ground for two touchdowns. He's going to have some potential Heisman moments this year for Ole Miss if they can keep winning. And, you know, how he shows against Alabama and LSU these next two weeks will tell the story. I'm not saying place a bet on him to win the Heisman, but keep it in the back of your mind if he goes bonkers against Alabama. The Rebels did give up 167 yards on the ground and 307 yards in the air to Georgia Tech. So both the Rebels and Jackson Dart have a long way to go from a national championship and Heisman-type season after three games, but I've been very impressed with the Rebels so far. I'm not going to spend much time on Texas A&M's 47-3 win over Louisiana Monroe or Kentucky's 35-3 win over Akron or or Auburn's 45-13 win over Samford. Just know that... All those games happened, and they were expected to play out like they did. Uh, Vanderbilt lost to UNLV 40-37 on a 36-yard field goal with five seconds left on the road. Again, Vanderbilt's coming back to earth after starting the season 2-0. Vanderbilt quarterback A.J. Swan had another big game passing with 335 yards and three touchdowns versus one interception on only 17 completions. However, if you look at ESPN's QBR metric, he earned a score of 34.2, which is well below the, the 50 median level for a QBR rating. So I'm still not worried about Vanderbilt in any way, shape, or form as it relates to the Gamecocks. Lastly, in the SEC, Arkansas fell at home to BYU 38-31 after a, a very competitive game um, for most of it. Um, Arkansas really fell off the wagon late in the game with their last five possessions going turnover on downs, interception, missed field goal, punt, fumble. 
before a two-minute drill at the end of the game that saw the Razorbacks get the ball all the way down to the BYU 16-yard line before a hook and lateral play saw the game end with an illegal touch penalty. K.J. Jefferson for Arkansas was um, 24 of 35 for 247 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. Arkansas managed 177 yards rushing in this contest without Rocket Sanders, who was out again with an injury. And the Arkansas defense gave up less than 300 yards of total offense, and, and the Razorbacks still lost. That, that's a that's a tough tough pill to swallow for the Arkansas fan base. Looking around the SEC, the standings coming into Week Four are as follows: SEC East, um, Georgia leads the way, one and zero in conference and three and zero on the season. Florida is also one and zero in conference and two and one on the season. Kentucky, um, Missouri haven't played a conference game yet. They're both three and zero on the season. Uh, Vanderbilt hasn't played a conference game, and they're two and two on the season. Tennessee is zero and one in conference and two and one on the season, and South Carolina is zero and one in conference and one and two on the season. Bringing up the rear right now are the Gamecocks. In the SEC West, LSU is one and zero in conference and two and one on the season. Um, Auburn and Ole Miss are both zero and zero in conference and three and zero on the season. Uh, Alabama and Arkansas and Texas A&M haven't played a conference game yet and are two and one on the season. And Mississippi State hasn't played a conference game and they're two and one on the season. The SEC currently has six teams ranked in the top twenty-five. Those teams are number one, number one Georgia, number twelve LSU, number thirteen Alabama, number fifteen Ole Miss, number twenty-three Tennessee, and number twenty-five Florida. Looking around at the SEC this week. Um, at 12 noon, you have two games. You have Auburn at Texas A&M with the Aggies favored by eight. And you also have Kentucky at Vanderbilt with Kentucky favored by 13 and a half points. At 3.30 on CBS, you have number 15 Ole Miss at number 13 Alabama. Alabama is currently favored by six and a half points. At four o'clock on SEC Network, you have UTSA at Tennessee with Tennessee favored by 21.5 points. 7 o'clock on ESPN, Arkansas at LSU with LSU favored by 17.5 points. And at 7.30 on ESPN2, UAB goes to Georgia with Georgia favored by 42.5 points. And then, of course, you have our game at 7.30 p.m. Mississippi State at South Carolina. It's on the SEC Network with South Carolina favored by 6 points. So on to South Carolina versus Mississippi State. The Las Vegas line has the game at South Carolina minus six with an over-under of 47, which means that the Vegas betters are signaling a 26 to 27 points for South Carolina and 20 to 21 points for Mississippi State. To me, I think that, that nationally, people betting on this game are still thinking of South Carolina from years past and, and saw the second half of the Georgia game and think South Carolina is coming back to earth after, you know, Surprising Georgia in the first half and losing in Charlotte to North Carolina. In a lot of ways, this is a prove-it game for South Carolina in the betting markets, and I, I can see that point from the outside. However, South Carolina's passing offense has been absolutely electric most of the season so far. Spencer Rattler is playing great football, and with Xavier Leggett leading the way in the receiving game, South Carolina can be very optimistic that their passing attack will continue to thrive versus a suspect Bulldog secondary. Mississippi State is giving up 353 passing yards per game against Power 5 schools so far this season. And on the ground, the Bulldogs are giving up 127 yards per game rushing. And South Carolina, on the other hand, has played much better competition so far versus their Power 5 opponents going up against number 1 Georgia and top 25 North Carolina. 
So, you know, when you look at it, the Gamecocks are averaging 340 or 304 yards passing per game against their Power 5 opponents. I would expect Spencer to have a pretty big day um, tomorrow night. I don't know how the offensive line is going to perform this week, but I thought they did a decent job against Georgia. And I think I think you'll see both Big Tree and Trovon Bow, um, two freshmen, start this week at at left tackle and right guard, respectively. The Gamecocks use tight ends and running backs to help block a bit more than we've seen so far this year versus Georgia, and I would expect that to continue this week. So I feel really good about the passing game. The running game has got to find a way to get going. I do think you're going to see more more Mario Anderson this week, and maybe some more of DJ Braswell as well. The Gamecocks will not give up on the run this week versus a Bulldog team giving up over 127 yards per game versus Power 5 opponents. So don't get frustrated if you see the Gamecocks trying to trying to get that run game going. For the first time this season, I do think the Gamecocks clearly have more talent than a Power 5 opponent on, on both offense and defense. You know, I thought North Carolina was really close with South Carolina probably having the edge in certain departments and North Carolina having the edge other places. And, and North Carolina has surprised me this year with what they've been able to do, but they've always recruited well. Um, I think when you factor in the changing of the guard with the Mississippi State's offense, and I, I think you're just catching Mississippi State at the right time of the season. I don't know if uh, you know their backup quarterback, Mike Wright, who transferred in from Vanderbilt after nearly beating the Gamecocks a few years ago, plays some snaps. He's more of a running dual-threat quarterback, and that could be a challenge for the Gamecocks' defense, but... He's not nearly as accurate as Drake May, who who also presented a rushing threat in Week 1. Right now, I have the Gamecocks winning pretty comfortably in this game. I also hope that if given the choice this week, the Gamecocks will defer to the second half. I think it could do a world of good for the defense to be given the opportunity to set the tempo for the game early in what's going to be a sold-out Williams-Brice Stadium. I think the crowd will make a big difference in this game, and it's really a defining game for Shane Beamer early in Year 3. Because the Gamecocks have to win this game to be in the mix for, you know, as low as six, you know, maybe even seven, eight wins this season. If they don't win this game, then you can pretty much, without like a, a crazy turnaround, a crazy run, just, you know, it's going to be hard for the Gamecocks to get to six or seven, eight wins if they lose this one this weekend. So I think it can be a get right game for the Gamecocks, and I have them winning the game 34 17. Um, so, really quick, I don't have a. You know what? I'm going to save that one for Monday. I want to see what happens um, this weekend. I don't have a lot of Mississippi State stories, but I do have a good one that that, that I do want to share with you on, on Monday's show. So I'll make a note to share that Mississippi State story with you on Monday. Um, I got the Gamecocks um, winning the game 34-17. I think it's going to be a get-right game. I wouldn't be surprised if the Gamecocks win by more, win by less, but I think a good baseline score is Gamecocks 34, Mississippi State 17. Um, so like I said, got a lot of stuff going on down here. So, um, at the house, I'm going to, I'm going to try and do this really quick, but onto my picks for this week. Uh, last week I went two and three betting again. So on the season, I'm two and three every single week. I need to find a way to get some good mojo to stop the bleeding. Last week I was right with LSU minus nine and a half versus Mississippi, Mississippi state and Penn state minus 14 and a half versus Illinois. But I was wrong on Georgia Tech plus 18 versus Ole Miss. And I was wrong on Colorado minus 23 and a half versus Colorado State. And what was a, a really thrilling late night game. I hope you guys all stayed awake for that. And I don't know if you're like me, but I found myself pulling for Colorado State in that one, um, especially towards the end of the game. 
Uh, Tennessee minus six versus Florida. I missed that one as well. I thought the Tennessee would get right on their woes against Florida, but it just didn't happen. So, so far for the season, my picks have six wins and nine losses. I'm batting under 500, and let's see if we can get some good vibes this week heading into NFL Sunday. First pick, I'll just get this one out of the way. I have Florida State minus two at Clemson. Clemson has gotten some positive momentum beating up on two bye games, you know, two just inferior teams that had no chance in Death Valley. Um, and they've done that since losing to Duke on opening weekend. Um, thus far, Clemson hasn't shown me anything to believe in them at this point other than their past success against Florida State when the Seminoles were down and the Tigers were at the top of college football. This year, to me, it seems like the roles are reversed. As I've mentioned on past shows, my wife is a Florida State graduate. She's soon to earn her second degree from Florida State, so I I do watch a lot of Florida State with her. Last weekend, it was an ugly game against Boston College, but I I also know that the flu went around the FSU locker room prior to the game, and and many of their starters weren't at full strength. That's changing this week. You don't have to worry about Florida State getting up for this game. Um, I think this is a public bet on past Clemson, and past Clemson ain't running down that hill this weekend. It's also a noon game, and while, I, and while I think the Clemson fans will be loud for a noon game, they won't be as loud as they are at nighttime. And, you know, if you live in South Carolina, you, you can kind of see the Clemson fans kind of walking back some expectations. And I could see this crowd not necessarily turning on Clemson, but just kind of getting deflated on Clemson and not getting loud the rest of the game, especially if um, Clemson gets down early, if Florida State takes momentum. Um, give me the Seminoles winning this game by 10-plus points, so... We're going to take Florida State minus two at Clemson. Game two, um, I can't believe I'm going back to Colorado, but give me give me Oregon minus 21 versus Colorado. I feel like, man, I feel like Colorado is just such a yo-yo type type betting environment for for college football betters. You just you don't know what they're going to be um, week in and week out. But with Colorado down Travis Hunter this week, that that takes away. You know, a threat on the offensive side of the ball, but really, really impacts a defense for Colorado that just hasn't impressed me so far this year. And I think Oregon just has a massive talent advantage over Colorado. I think this is the game where Colorado kind of comes back to earth, you know, especially without Travis Hunter. And I know that Oregon would love to whip Deion Sanders after all the national attention he's gotten lately. I thought this line would be bet down a bit leading up to the game, but I think a lot of people are factoring in Travis Hunter. But I did think the national public um, really bought into Colorado and the story of, of Coach Prime. So I was still surprised to see this one at minus 21, you know, this late in the week. But give me Oregon in blowout fashion at home on, on 3.30 or at 3.30 on ABC. Game three, uh, Michigan minus 24 versus Rutgers. It's time for Michigan to cover a spread. Michigan hasn't covered a spread all year, and I think they get it done this week. The game is at Michigan, and I'm just making a bet on a team not starting 0-4 against the spread that's that's as highly ranked as Michigan is. So this one's just a gut feeling for me. I don't have any any analysis there for you. I just I think that Michigan covers this weekend. Game four, Arkansas plus 17.5 at LSU. I don't think Arkansas is a bad team by any means. I think that LSU is riding high after this win over Mississippi State. And, and they severely out-talented the Bulldogs. Arkansas is a team that I think can, can control the ball and not let this game get out of hand too quickly. I trust K.J. Jefferson um, more than I trust a lot of quarterbacks in the SEC. 
and I really just like the hook where we get that extra .5 points. LSU is going to win this game, but I don't think it'll be by more than 17 points. Uh, the last game we're going to talk about is Notre Dame plus three versus Ohio State. Notre Dame has looked really good to me so far this season, and Ohio State's just been kind of blah. The game is at Notre Dame, and I think this game is close throughout, but I like Notre Dame winning this game outright. I would sprinkle a money line bet on Notre Dame with that being said. The public is used to seeing Notre Dame crap the bed in big games, and I think that streak ends Saturday night. I think Notre Dame turned a corner last year in big games, and they have a big upgraded quarterback this year. So, so give me the Fighting Irish in this one. I'll take the plus three points and be happy with it. But that's going to do it for this week. I appreciate everybody for listening you know, and watching on Monday. Appreciate you listening to this. I, I really hope the background noise wasn't too much with the work we have going on. Um, I'll be excited to, to be in williams Bryce tomorrow night. It should be, like I said earlier, an electric atmosphere. And um, guys, if, if, hit me up on latenightgamecockshow at gmail.com. You know, reach out to me on the Big Spur under the username Matt Anderson. I'm really excited to connect with you guys. If you're around the stadium tomorrow, give me a shout. Um, if I'm close to you guys, I'll, I'll, I'll try and stop by or I'll tell you where I'm at and see if we can connect. But I'm really excited for the show, really excited for the progress we're making on it. I'm looking forward to seeing all of you on Monday. I promise we'll have the chat box, chat, chat box figured out by Monday night on my end. Um, Phil did a great job producing. I can't thank him enough. And I can't thank all of you enough for listening. Um, you know, Each time you listen, you give me the most valuable thing you have, which is your time. And I just can't be more thankful for it. So hope it's a great weekend. I hope that the, the Gamecocks get it done like we think they will this weekend. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll remember to tell you my Mississippi State story on Monday night. It, it's a good one, so you don't, try not to miss it. I'll, I'll be really excited to share that with everybody. So I hope you all have a great weekend, and I will talk to you on Monday.